Hello everyone, welcome to Van Life and Chill, the podcast. My name is Forrest Stevens, and today we talk with Sabrina Bosserman, who along with her husband owns and operates the company Phoenix School Buses, where they take school buses and build them into tiny houses. We talk about what it's like running an alternative dwelling-based company and what their experience was living in a school bus, as well as some general tips for people who are looking to get a professional builder to build out their van, school bus, whatever it is. This episode is jam-packed with advice and education, so stay tuned for all of that, and here you are. Before we get into today's podcast, I just want to tell all the Canadian listeners and viewers out there about Maple Wi-Fi. Now, internet on the road, if you're living in a van or even if you're living in rural Canada, is a problem. The three big cell providers here just absolutely are so expensive and the unlimited internet they provide is absolute trash once it gets throttled. I think Canada is up there in one of the worst countries in the world for cost and and uh, data speeds. So Maple Wi-Fi is a solution that I found when I was living in my van that worked wonders. It's this little tiny device here and it holds a charge for up to 24 hours. So it's nice and portable, you can bring it with you and it doesn't require a bunch of hardware to be either be installed on your van or to be set up like Starlink does. And it doesn't have to stow away and have space to be able to be uh, stored. It's just this small, tiny little device. So I was able to actually get rid of my data plans, which worked out to about the same cost as unlimited high-speed internet. The way this works is you can connect to any network available from any provider within Canada. Rogers, Telus, Bell, Freedom, anything that's available. And so you can kind of optimize for your location and, and figure out the best speeds. So if you're interested in getting the best internet, portable internet device within Canada, I believe, you can check out the link in the description. It's an affiliate link, so we get a small cut direct from Maple Wi-Fi. It's no extra cost to you, and it goes a long way to support this show. So if you're interested, check out the link in the description. Thanks for watching and listening to this podcast, and now let's get into today's episode. So my name is Sabrina Boschman. I am the co-owner and operator of Phoenix School Buses. Uh, I operate it with my husband. We recently just hit our three-year point, actually, um, about a month ago. Uh, and yeah, we run it out of Texas. We convert school buses, vans, food trucks into tiny homes. So what got you into building out vans and building out, uh, sorry, not vans, but school buses? What got you into that originally? So there are a lot of different factors, but primarily the main thing was that um, when I was in the military, I wasn't a high enough rank, basically, to be allotted uh, money for rent. Um, so I decided that I wanted to live in a schoolie. Um, and I heard about kind of like the schoolie lifestyle from my dad, who was converting his own school bus into a schoolie. Um, meanwhile, my sister was living in a Bluebird Wonder Lodge. So I'm not sure if you know what that is, but basically the the factory converted bluebird um, tiny home thing. But anyways, uh, so yeah, so I decided that I wanted to live in a schoolie. Um, me and my boyfriend at the time, or husband now, boyfriend at the time, uh, went up to Washington, D.C. And we picked up a, a schoolie that was kind of set up for camping 
Um, the owners primarily used it for camping purposes. Uh, so we bought it and then we drove it back through Washington, D.C., um, which was super fun driving it through the streets of Washington, D.C. Um, and then, yeah, so basically I lived in it until um, I started making money for basic housing allowance. And um, after that, we actually parked it. We bought a house and we parked out our property. Um, and then while my husband was transitioning out of the Navy, I was still in. Uh, so he started converting it basically into a, a, a better schoolie, I guess you would say. Um, and then after that, we basically, we sold it uh, to fund a trip to Europe, a two month trip to Europe where we saw 17 different countries. Uh, so that was super fun. And then we were kind of just like spitballing about really what we wanted to do with our life, I guess. We didn't really want to go into the civilian side of nuclear engineering, uh, which is, I forgot if I mentioned what we did previously in the Navy, we did nuclear engineering. Um, so we didn't really want to continue doing that. Um, so we decided to start building schoolies, basically, because we saw, we noticed that there was kind of like a, a gap in the market of people who wanted schoolies, but didn't have the time or the skills or, or, or whatever, basically to build it themselves. Um, and we wanted to build a company that was known for, you know, having a good reputation, a, a company that you could trust to build a quality uh, conversion for you. So that's, that's essentially the gist of it. There was uh, a lot of other factors, but that's the main thing. So what are some of the things that you uh, talk with your clients initially about um, when they're kind of, when they come to you and they're like, oh, I've seen some school bus conversions and that sounds really cool and interesting to me. What are some of the, what are some of the first kind of conversations that you have with somebody that's just interested in this? I would say the first thing that we kind of talk about is making sure that you are aware of the reality of living in a schoolie, basically. We want to make sure that you kind of like considered, you know, all of the pros and the cons and that you're aware of kind of like what your lifestyle is going to look like. Because I think a lot of people kind of try and dive into this head first without really thinking about the, um, what their lifestyle will be. You know, there's uh, moving your bus, the the spots that you'll be parking at every couple of days, there's HOAs that you have to deal with sometimes. Um, there's there's a lot of different stuff. So I would say the first conversation that we have is making sure that you are prepared, which, you know, as a business isn't something necessarily that we can profit off of, but we don't we don't want to build you a schoolie if it's not something that you actually want to do. Um, so the first conversation is just kind of feeling each other out, seeing like, is this something that you actually want to do? Um, and then after that, we just kind of talk about what their lifestyle is going to be like. So if they want to use it full time or as a mobile business or just uh, for the on the weekends for camping, do they want to be off grid, on grid, um, stuff like that. Right. Yes. Because that's one of the most important things is just figuring out kind of like what the needs are. And then you can go from there with like design and everything else. Because I think a lot of people, they see some pictures online, they see some videos, and they think about the end result 
and the kind of the, the finished product much more than the process. So how is there some kind of expectations that you have to work through with with some of your clients where it's like we need to we need to step back and not even think about design yet necessarily, but just about purpose first? I would say the big thing is that a lot of clients don't really know, not that they don't know, but they don't, I guess, understand what off grid means. A lot of people say, you know, like we want to be off grid. We want to live the off grid lifestyle. You know, we want to be out in the desert for like three months without plugging into a source of power or something. And it's like, okay, have you ever gone camping before? You know, like, do you, do you really know, is that the lifestyle that you want? You know, I think people have, um, this idea in their head that they need a huge solar system and huge water tanks and tons of generators and everything. Cause they're going to go out to the desert and camp there for three months. And then in actuality, you know, they, they end up living off grid for, you know, maybe a week or two at a time for, for the most part, most of our clients do. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so what are some of the, um, like, do you do full builds from the start or, or, do you work with partial builds or DIYers? What are, what are some of the what are some of the clients that you have? So for the most part, we do full builds um, from the ground up, essentially. And the reason why we do that is because we work with a company called Noah Certified, um, and they actually go through and inspect every portion of our build from the electrical and the plumbing. Um, they actually work with tiny homes too. So if you're building a tiny home, they'll inspect like the framing and everything like that. But um, that is just essentially a way to provide comfort for both us and our clients of knowing that this home has been inspected by a third party, basically. Um, so for the most part, that's why we do full builds. Um, we have done smaller stuff for people like adding in solar systems or um, what are some other stuff? Oh, adding like a, a rear deck or something like that. Someone wanted a, a way to mount their Vespa on their back of their bus. So we've done a rear deck before. Um, but as far as building on top of someone else's work, we don't really do that just because we want to make sure that the foundation that we're building on top of is safe and of high quality. Um, so we have had some interest of that in that before in the past. And it's just like, we don't really want to start because once you get into it, you know, who knows what kind of stuff you're going to find. And um, we've had someone before that wanted us to complete a build for them. And we basically said, if you want us to do this and, and we want to be able to put our name on it, we're going to have to tear down all of these walls because they're all crooked and then we're going to have to build them back up. So it ended up, you know, costing them in, in demo too. So. Wow. Yeah. Because that's one of the... That's one of the pitfalls of building out a van or a school bus or anything is uh, whether you do it yourself, if you're not experienced enough or knowledgeable enough, or if you hire a builder that ends up kind of not knowing what they're doing. I mean, that's it can be kind of a disaster, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars and time spent and effort and, you know, blood, sweat and tears go into these these builds. So um I guess, yeah, my question there is just what should people look for when they're kind of, when they're going to go with a builder? You know, what, what are some signs to you that a builder is uh, one that's going to leave them with, with a good end result? Yeah, um, I've, I've actually been doing kind of a lot of talk about this on our 
social media platforms too, just because I have been noticing that there are more and more builders coming out of the woodworks um, that maybe, I'm not saying this is all of them, but maybe they built a bus for their own purposes and they got famous on Instagram and, and then they decided like, oh, maybe I could do this or something. Um, so there are a lot of builders coming out, um, but I would say one of the big things is number one, uh, Google them. You know, you can you can figure out if there are any YouTube videos of like bad reviews that people have given the company, or you might find out that they have an F rating on the Better Business Bureau. Um, you might find out that they have one star on their Google review page or something like that. So there's a lot of stuff that you can find out by Googling them. Um, you can also find out if they're even really a legit business. You know, do they have a website or a Facebook page or a YouTube channel or whatever? Or are they kind of doing this um, as a hobby? You know, just something that they haven't um, really built from the ground up, basically. Um, and then, yeah, so I would definitely look at their reviews to um, make sure that they have references. Um, I've talked about this a little bit too, but not necessarily that you're going to be able to talk to previous clients. Um, thankfully, we have some awesome previous clients. So anytime that I've asked them, they've been happy to talk to someone else that wants to talk to them. Um, but that might not always be the case. You know, we respect our clients' privacy. And if for some reason they don't feel like talking to a potential client, um, we can't give out their information. We don't want to. Um, so with that being said, though, we do have a list of reviews on our, our Google business page of our previous clients that have written reviews for us. So, um, yeah, I would definitely, if you can't connect with any of their previous or current clients, at least look for, you know, reviews on their Google business page. Yeah, that's a good place to start just doing research and yeah, talking to clients if you can. It's yeah, that's an excellent way to go. Um, yeah, I guess uh, one question I had is, and this is definitely super difficult one to answer clearly, um, just because I know that, you know, so many people who build out vans themselves to live in, it's just like, oh, I'm 90% done and there'll be 90% done for, you know, years. <laughs> um, but how long does it normally take you, I guess, to build out a school bus for somebody? Yeah, I, I figured your question would either be budget or timeline because <laughs> we, we get that one a lot. Um, so it depends. Uh, one, if you're having it built by someone or if you're DIYing it. Um, if you're having it built by someone, I would say that's another red flag to look for. Um, unrealistic promises of quick timelines um, because you're building a house from the ground up. You know, So if someone says, I can build this for you in two weeks with $7,000. That sounds amazing, but if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Um, so that being said, for us, it takes us anywhere from three to five months to build it from the ground up. Uh, this is all that we do. So this is our job, right? So we don't do like just weekend work or something like that. So, um, and they're all completely custom. So if you're going to be DIYing it, uh, I have seen people that have built it in, you know, 60 days uh, and their schoolie is just really bare bones. And then I've seen people that have taken, you know, like you were saying, years to build one. Um, but I would say 
on average, if you're going to be working on it part-time, basically, I would say a year is probably a pretty good timeline to give yourself. Yeah, it makes sense. And I guess just to get a little more clear of a vision of your business, um, what is what is your workshop like and, and what's the crew like that actually builds out the, the school buses? So we just moved into a bigger shop about a year ago. Um, and I am obsessed with it. I didn't know that you could fall in love with shop spaces, honestly, but it, we found it at like the perfect time. I mean, yeah, everything just worked out amazingly, but it's, uh, like 7,000 square feet. It's on like two acres. We've got a fenced in property. Um, there's enough room for three buses comfortably and maybe four or five kind of uncomfortably. Um, it actually used to be a, a fire extinguisher like business so that people would make fire extinguishers and then like refill, refill them or something like that. So it's an amazing shop. I love it so much. Um, and then, yeah, our crew, they're amazing as well. Um, it's kind of funny how we landed on them, actually. Um, our welder, who we subcontract out, he doesn't work with us full time. Um, when we first started, probably two or two and a half, or not when we first started, but when, when we started looking for help about two to two and a half years ago, um, I had just posted on Facebook, like, hey, are there any welders out there? We could use some help, you know, no formal job search or anything like that. And um, he reached out to me. We worked with him a little bit. Um, and then he said that he had his dad is a carpenter who used to, um, he was like within the, the carpentry union for like 15 years or something like that. Uh, and he was looking for work too. Um, so we brought his dad in uh, and then our electrician, um, we found through, um, I guess, kind of like a family friend. Same, same thing happened basically where he was like, hey, if y'all are looking for work, um, my grandpa is an electrician and um, maybe he could help you out sometime or something like that. So uh, it's kind of, I guess in a way, it's like a family family owned business. A bunch of different families are involved, um, but they're a really great team. Uh, my husband has joked about how we should start a podcast for them called The Southern Gentleman, because we'll just hear like both of them have a really Southern accent and we'll just hear them like kind of mumbling to each other from, you know, the back of the shop or something like that. And the expressions that they use and everything are just really funny, but it's, we've got a great team and we've got a great shop. So I'm really proud of where we've come basically, or what we, what point we've gotten to. Yeah. It sounds like you've really built something up. That's uh, pretty special there. Um, what are some of the, uh, what are some of the things that you, um, that you help figure out with your clients as far as like some of the more technical sides of, of this experience. Like I'm thinking specifically the electrical system. Um, you know, how do you help them decide on how many amp hours of batteries and how much Watts of solar and, and how they're going to be charging? What are, what are some of the parameters that go into those decisions? Yeah. So unfortunately the, the kind of crappy thing about building your electrical system is it really depends what what system I would have with the exact same appliances and everything like that could differ from the system that you would have. 
Um, because let's say that I only care about running my AC for, you know, two hours in the middle of the afternoon, whereas you have pets and you want to run your AC all day long. Um, so we do our best to kind of consult with our clients, but ultimately we tell them like, we need a ton of information from you. We need all of the, the things that you plan on using, you know, the, are you going to have a washer and dryer? Um, are you going to have a propane range or uh, what kind of water heater are you going to have? And then we ask them to really do some, I guess, like soul searching of, you know, be honest with yourself. How long do you see yourself using each of these things every day and be conservative about it? Um, that being said, we now recommend, strongly recommend that you install a generator with your solar system, or in our case, um, two paralleled generators. We use the the champion ones, but unless you have over 3000 watts of solar, um, and I think it's like 800 amp hours of battery or something like that, unless you have that much solar, we just recommend installing a generator as a backup. Um, it's really one of the, it's not super expensive to get it added on basically, and I feel like it just provides peace of mind that, you know, you're not going to be stuck out there in the desert at night, you know, without a source of power because the sun went down, basically. So we always recommend, basically, regardless of what um, electrical system that you have, that you install generators just as a backup method, if if need be. Yeah, redundancy in that department is super important. Um you know, there's always like for for simpler builds and stuff. It's it's typically at least you know the three different ways of charging the the shore power, the solar, and the alternator. And to have that fourth one is just another added security, kind of just like you said with the with the generator. And if you have, you know, a school bus is much bigger than I know. I've, I've filmed and talked to people with school buses, but typically I'll do videos with people with vans and. You know, a school bus has that extra space, so you can think about um, these other additional pieces in the build like that. Mm -hmm. Right. I want to get a little bit more into your backstory a little bit and and what your actual vehicle dwelling experience was like. But maybe before we do that, if you can just tell us a little bit um, about where to find your business and and. Uh, yeah, just where it's located online and all that stuff. So we are physically located in Mount Pleasant, Texas, which we get a lot of confusion surrounding our name. Um, we had a lot of people from Phoenix, Arizona reaching out to us and we'd be like, okay, but you know that we're located in Texas, right? Um, but really our, our name was inspired by, you know, the, the Phoenix, a mythical creature rising from the ashes and everything like that. Um, so yeah, it seems like, maybe we've finally started making some headway in letting people know that we're we're located in Texas, not Arizona. Um, but yeah, so Mount Pleasant, Texas, it's really, really East Texas, like um, almost next to Arkansas. Um, and then online, you can find us at phoenixschoolbuses.com or Instagram, phoenixschoolbuses. Uh, yeah, if you just Google us, you'll find a bunch of different platforms. Perfect. Yeah. So yeah, just a little bit more about you. Um, what was it actually like living in your first school bus there when you were, um, you know, you got into it to, to not have to 
pay rent or because you didn't have those, those um, the ability to uh, through your job. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's a really good reason to get into it. There's a lot of people who get into vehicle dwelling um, just to be able to save money or to be able to uh, be able to live somewhere and with opportunities. Um, but what was that experience actually like for you living in that vehicle? It was interesting. I still remember, uh, I think whenever I picked it up, I don't actually think that I had a place to park it in mind, which in, in hindsight was not the smartest thing. Um, I didn't have any idea of where I was going to store it or anything like that. Um, so I think actually on the drive back, I was like calling a bunch of different places and, and I wanted a place to store it, but also where I could live in it too. Right. So I didn't just want like an RV, um, not park, but a storage place. I didn't just want an RV storage place. I wanted a place where I could store it, live in it and potentially work on it, which, you know, with a lot of like RV parks and everything, they don't want you working on your, on your vehicle. Um, so I was calling around on the drive back, trying to find a place. I did find a place um, that was not too bad. I can't remember exactly how much the rent was, um, but I want to say it was like 500 bucks or something like that. So actually, now that I think about it, it was pretty expensive for what it was. Um, but it was the only place that was, you know, within like half an hour of my drive to work, which was super important. You know, I didn't want to be driving like two hours one way, basically. Um, so yeah, I found that place. And then I remember eventually, um, this guy tells me after a couple of months, uh, that, Hey, he's actually not supposed to be doing this. He got ticketed by a police officer or something like that for having, um, people parking in his backyard or something like that. So I had a week to move it, uh, which I think a lot of people are familiar with that situation, you know, of, having to move their bus within sometimes even 24 or 48 hours. So um, I did end up finding a place. I think at that point I had finally started getting uh, funding from the military for um, rent. So I had moved into an apartment uh, and then I ended up finding an RV storage place that was like an hour away. So that kind of sucked because I still wanted to work on it. Um, but I had to drive an hour just to get there and uh, an hour back. Um, so I would say that was like the biggest struggle that I had was storage and, and parking and everything like that. Um, other than that, I didn't really run into a lot of issues. Um, sometimes it got a little cold at night, but, you know, nothing, nothing too big. I had a pretty good experience with it. Yeah, I think um, that's definitely one thing that comes to mind with like, my apprehension to getting a school bus, the, my first thought would be, where can you park it? Because, you know, I, I'm, I've had minivans, I've had, you know, just kind of a cargo van. And, and now the, the biggest van that I have are, is, is actually just like a motorhome. It's a class C 23 foot long motorhome. And, you know, when I was in a minivan, I was thinking, oh, I don't know if you can really park in the same places with a, with a RV. And, and even now I'm thinking, where can you park with a with a bus so is that is it harder to find 
like boondocking places and and free camping with with a school bus i imagine it is to some degree but but how much so like are you able to still get to some places and park for free with with a school bus i think so um we haven't had an issue with it i will say that um be prepared to have some of that stress in your life i don't ever think that it's going to be easy uh, there's not just like one app. Unfortunately, there's not an app available for like schoolies, you know, of like, hey, you can park here like we accept schoolies or whatever, because um, part of the the trouble finding a place is that some RV campgrounds either won't accept schoolies or say that they will, but you show up and they're like, oh, never mind. Um, or, you know, you you get to a place and it looks unsafe to park. Um, so I don't think that it is the um most relaxing thing to try and find a place to park your schoolie but i will say that i think it is possible um i actually wrote about this the other day there are a ton of apps available if you just kind of google like rv parking or something like that you know there's hip camp and boondockers welcome and campendium and uh, a bunch of different i overlander that's one of my favorite ones where you can um, actually look through reviews of the spot and search by amenities and everything like that. Um, so I, I, yeah, I think it's 100% possible for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, what would be, what would be some of the most memorable experiences that you had while living in your school bus? I actually think the most memorable experience that I had was driving it through Washington, DC, um, because it was a super stressful time for sure. But me and my husband had a really good time kind of like getting to know each other um, and taking that trip and everything like that. That was the only trip, I guess, that I took in it. Um, it was just a stationary bus. It was, um, I want to say like 35 feet or something like that. And I was not comfortable driving it around myself. So anytime that I wanted to move it, I had to get my husband to like coordinate with me. Again, boyfriend at the time. So, um, but I had to coordinate with him. Uh, but yeah, I would say actually like picking it up, it was just a super exciting time. Um, I was wondering like, am I making a huge mistake? Because I can't remember exactly how much it was, but I think it was like at least over $10,000 or something, um, which was a big chunk of my savings. So yeah, thinking, am I making a, a huge mistake? Uh, I don't think I asked near enough questions at the time. Like, honestly, I think I just kind of did the thing that I tell people not to do. And I just kind of bought it and drove it home. But in the end, like I said, it ended up being a really good experience. So I got, I got really lucky with that one, but yeah, picking it up. You can definitely get lucky and you can get unlucky with uh, buying any used vehicle. I mean, it's a bit of a crapshoot. Um, obviously, you know, there's things you can do to do your research and all that, but uh, um, would you be able to describe the, the build that you lived in um we'll have to visually use our imagination a little bit to kind of imagine it but would you be able to kind of give us a little bit of a walkthrough of what the amenities that you had were and the setup yeah so like i said it was kind of it was kind of for camping um there was when you walked in there was like a futon on the left uh, and then there was like a small little cabinet area or a countertop area um, where there's like a small sink, basically. Um, the water, you had to actually connect to city water. Um, so it didn't have any water tanks or anything like that. 
Um, and then you had a toilet room on the left. And that was actually a flushing toilet, um, which I don't think I ever used because uh, the place that I parked at, they had a bathroom that we had access to. So I don't think I actually ever used that. Um, and then on the right, there was a shower space. And then in the back, like your usual setup was the master bedroom, basically. So um, yeah, it was definitely not built for boondocking at all. There was no generator or anything like that. Um, I can't remember, but I don't even think there was like a rooftop AC or anything. So um, it had all the windows though. So like basically if it got really hot in there, just, you know, take some of the windows down. But yeah, really bare bones build. Yeah, it sounds like it was it was built out to be kind of go from RV park to RV park, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. Um, where do you think you would be now if you hadn't gotten into the into that school bus? I ask myself this a lot uh, because I just kind of think about how there are so many paths that I could have taken. Um, and if you would have talked to my younger self, uh, you know, like, 10 years ago or something like that and asked like, oh, do you think you'd be a business owner? No way. I, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life um, all the way up until actually I was getting out of the military, um, which is one of the big reasons why I joined the Navy was because I didn't want to spend like a ton of money on tuition and have, you know, like college debt and everything like that because I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I was like, I'll just join the Navy and give myself like a four year buffer period, basically. Um, so I'm not really sure. I've thought it would be fun to be a lawyer, um, but I'm sick of going to school, to be honest. I'm currently about to finish my master's in business administration and I'm so sick of it. I feel like I've been going to school for years and years. Um, I thought it would be fun to be a teacher um, basically I think the only path that wouldn't be available to me would be working at a civilian power plant. Cause I just, I did not like it at all. Um, the, the theory behind it was really interesting. Um, but I just didn't like the environment that I worked in. It was super stressful. Um, basically the, the biggest perk were the people that I met there. Um, but it, it also taught me, you know, it, it, didn't teach me, I guess, but it assisted me in knowing how to run a business um, because there are definitely some stressful times when you when you run a small business, you know. So dealing with all of that um, with that stressful time was really helpful. It's interesting the different ways that uh, life turns out. Oh yeah. What advice do you have for somebody that's uh, thinking about getting into um, living in their vehicle of any kind? I would say the first thing. Um, is try it out. Uh, so whether that be Airbnb has, you know, a lot of like stationary schoolies that you can try out. Um, so you could do it that way. You could rent an RV, basically just see if you could actually get used to that space. Um, because while I enjoyed living tiny, um, and I kind of think of myself as like a minimalist, really, I don't enjoy having a lot of things. Um, my husband is very tall uh, and kind of bulky. So the two of us together, I don't think we don't live tiny currently. Um, so the two of us together, we, we have in the past, like we traveled in an RV that we were fixing up. Um, so we traveled in that and we kind of found that 
it got really old bumping into each other all the time, you know, and kind of like elbowing each other in the face on accident. So um, not the right lifestyle for the two of us. Um, so just kind of getting a feel for the space and um, could you live with having this small amount of storage? Um, do you like the idea of having to constantly go grocery shopping because your fridge is smaller than a residential one? Um, so I would say that would be the biggest thing is just kind of try out the lifestyle first and see if it's actually for you. Um, and then you know, the other thing would be downsizing. Obviously, you're, you're going to have to downsize a lot. Um, so can you live with getting rid of a large majority of your stuff would be another big thing to consider. So from your perspective, what are some of the differences between schoolie life and van life? I would say the big thing is, I mean, obviously the, the space is a huge thing. Um, if you're going to have a family, I personally would strongly recommend a schoolie, not a van, but I've seen some amazing families out there that have like six people in a van and the way that they make bed space is amazing. Like this one chair folds down and there's like a little hammock above the cabin area or whatever. So I've, I've seen it. It's possible. Um, but I would recommend a schoolie personally. Um, and then the other thing I think kind of like you were saying is the, the parking. I feel like parking a van somewhere, it's a lot easier to kind of like blend in um, versus a schoolie. Is So you're more inconspicuous living in a van, basically. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so what's next for you, Sabrina? Well, uh, like I said, I'm looking forward to finishing this degree. Um, I finished that up in the spring of next year. Um, and then business-wise, uh, just looking to continue expanding, growing, I guess. Um, yeah continue scaling our business, I suppose. And also maybe taking holidays off. That would be fun one day, you know, to have some free time. <laughs> That's on the bucket list at some point. So yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to do when you run your own business. It's like, that's the benefit of running your own business is you can make your own schedule. But when there's so much work, it's hard to <laughs> hard to take time off. Yeah. I would say a lot of entrepreneurs like, yeah, you, you are in control of your schedule, but most of the time you're, you're filling your schedule completely. So, I mean, we, we actually came into work, um, last Christmas, Christmas Eve, uh, new year's and we were like working. So yeah, time off will be nice one day. So you've already mentioned where to find your businesses online, but, um, what would be the best place for people to go if they actually just wanted to see some of your completed build pictures or videos? Where would be the one place that you would direct? Uh, the one place I would say is our website. It's the most organized. Um, our Instagram has a lot of content on it, but our website hasn't actually broken down into a portfolio. So you can see that we've done like a food truck, a retail shop on wheels, a full build, a partial build, and it's just kind of actually organized instead of just like, splattered there like our instagram is perfect okay so that's where where i'd recommend people go check out and uh yeah just thanks so much for your time today sabrina it was great talking with you yeah absolutely it was nice talking with you too